Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. Today, Pastor Fisher reminds us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only true answer and love for all of us. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Good morning. Welcome today, everyone. It's good to see you all here. If you're tuning in online, tuning in, we're glad you're joining us. Let's bow for a word of prayer as we get into the message today. Lord, thank you for the way you spread the gospel through your servants, through the church. And thank you, Lord, that along the way we've been swept up in that good news. We've got to hear the message and respond to you by faith and become your followers. And Lord, we ask you today as we're studying how things worked in the early church, how you worked, how the Holy Spirit worked, that you would open our minds so that we can see and be more effective in the way we spread the gospel today. Lord, open the, our minds to these things and may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. Lord, you're our rock and redeemer. We look to you, Lord, the true Messiah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, if you're not there already, turn to Acts 14. This is part of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey outside the, well, sort of the near Middle East, the Levantine, Israel, Judah, Palestine surroundings, where they very intentionally went to the Gentiles. Uh, it began in Antioch. If you go back to Acts 13, it says the Antioch church was worshiping the Lord and fasting. So that was just a normal part of their life together. At some point, they were worshiping God. They were fasting. They were maybe there at a daily or weekly service. And in the middle of that, while they were worshiping the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, and this is set down in, in Acts 13 two, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then after fasting and prayer was over, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So the call to be a missionary for these two men came in the midst of worship, in the midst of self-denial, intentional fasting to seek more of God. And indeed, I want to just encourage you, if you're in a state in your life where you need, know that you need more of God, there's nothing like worshiping and fasting to get more of Him. Deny your, your bodily needs and appetites and just put those aside for a while and make God the, your hunger and the most important thing you're after, and He'll bless you. You know, Jesus didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. So He assumed His followers would fast from time to time. You know, it's part of the, I think, the power of the early Methodist movement is Wesley and many of his followers fasted regularly. And so the, in their self-denial, God gave them more of Him of himself. And then out of that power came uh, more of God's presence as they evangelized around uh, England and later America and the other places where those missionaries went. So Paul and Barnabas, the, he's still called Saul here in these early days. His name f sort of flips to Paul in the midst of this first missionary journey. 
They are set aside by the Holy Spirit who speaks to the people of God in the midst of that worship. Some of you have gotten God's call to ministry in the midst of worship. Right? You kind of had a sense that God is calling me. He's tugging me. And in this case, the Holy Spirit gave the whole body discernment. I'm setting these two men apart. They're going to go out. They've been blessing you. They've been ministers here in your midst. They're listed as among four or five key teachers in that church. But now the church is ready to send them off. And the Holy Spirit has a new job for them. And it's to go and start to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The first stages of the mission start out in Cyprus, where the two preached in several towns, usually beginning in Jewish synagogues. And then they traveled to Asia Minor. And by the way, there's a story in there that I'm going to pass over where Paul confronts a, a Jewish sorcerer. Uh, we spent enough time on Simon in terms of sorcery in a, a, a past message not too long ago. But um, just a, a quick look at Simon. Um, uh, what, what is his name? Yes. Wait a minute. I'm going to find it. Yeah, Elemis. Elemis or Bar-Jesus, thank you. And um, so he's a sorcerer, and he tries to refute what Paul's saying while he's preaching to a public official there in one of those Cyprus towns. And Paul looks at him and rebukes him in no uncertain terms. Here's what he says. Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elemis and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And that's what happened to him. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul, that was the official that Paul was preaching to and telling the gospel to, when he saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. You know, there is a time to confront the servants of the enemy and name them for what they are. And, and indeed, in this case, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to call down a temporary judgment on Elymas so that the effect of his spiritually seeking to blind the proconsul there would come upon his own head. Now, we don't know what happened to Elymas. We know he went around blind, seeking somebody to help him lead, lead him in the midst of what felt like uh, mist and darkness. But you know that after that, he was thinking about, what have I done? Who have I just encountered? What has he said? Why has this happened to me? Sometimes it takes negative consequences for us to get real with God, to have kind of a shakedown. And, and I think it was a mercy that Paul called him in the midst of his spread, uh, this guy, Elymas, called down a judgment upon him in the midst of his spreading false teaching and trying to stop the gospel so that and he had a chance to repent. Now, we don't, we don't know what happened to him, but we know that the, the political leader Paul was speaking to put his faith in Christ. He said, this is the real thing. Maybe Bar Jesus, Elymas, was deceiving him with some sorcery tricks and now he sees real power demonstrated, the power of God, and he puts his faith amazed at this teaching. So they preach now and they travel over to Asia Minor, what's modern-day Turkey, where the pattern continues as they went from town to town. At first they preach in Pisidian Antioch, 
Again, going to the synagogue as a starting place to present the gospel. And they get an initial hearing with a rousing presentation about Jesus. And you can read that in the middle of chapter 13, uh, around verses 13 and following. We're not going to look at the whole sermon today. We're going to move on to uh, where, where they end up in chapter 14. But what happens here is trouble. As the message divides the Jewish people. And in this case, Paul starts to speak, and then the Jews listening are fascinated. They say, come back. This sounds really wonderful. Next week, Paul comes back to the synagogue, and this time it says almost the whole city gathered. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. We're going to come back to that, filled with jealousy. And then they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. And now they go to, and uh, from here they go to Iconium, and that's where we take up the message today. And Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual, see it's a, a pattern, to the Jewish synagogue. And there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe, see, you get the same pattern now. And you'll see this over and over again throughout the book of Acts, that there's a division in the Jewish people with regard to Jesus. And they respond on two, two sides to the gospel. One group accepting it and embracing it, getting baptized, putting their faith in Jesus. Another group Opposing it, saying, nope, that's false. We're not going to trust you. We're not going to trust this Jesus you're bringing to us. And uh, we're going to heap abuse on you for bringing this word. So as many believed, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up trouble and poisoned their minds against the brothers. They stirred up trouble among the Gentiles. So the people who didn't respond, maybe the rest of the city folks out there in Iconium, the Jews in the synagogue who didn't believe in Jesus went out and started to stir them up and say, hey, there's a troublemaker over at our our church, our synagogue. Come over here and help us get rid of them. And maybe they told a few lies and and, uh, enough to get the people on board with them. Uh, But you you want to see that they got a hearing Anyway, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. I'm sure that meant there was a lot of healings, a lot of people delivered from evil spirits, uh, signs meaning uh, spectacular wonders like the the healing of the, um, the crippled man in Lystra. And what's the response of the people? The city was divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. And then those who were against the gospel got together a plot to mistreat and stone Paul and Barnabas. So the thing, we can't get rid of these guys, it's time to take them out. And, but the, the apostles found out about it and they fled. And, and indeed, it's a, it's a pattern. Jesus said, when, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. And we should keep that in mind if persecution gets to the point that it ever becomes life-threatening. And we do not have to just stay put. We can flee. So keep that in mind, right? 
Now, I want you to think about a couple points here in Iconium. Many believed, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up trouble. Just think about what's going on here in the heart of a person who refuses the gospel. Because, yes, it's the Jews in this case who refuse the gospel. And, and there's a whole mystery going on as to why the Jews refuse the gospel. Part of their refusing the gospel is how the gospel got turned to come to the Gentiles in the first place. Paul spends Romans 9 to 11 explaining that God used their hardening of heart in order to open the road for the gospel to go out to the Gentiles. So that Israel experienced a hardening in part to God for the sake of getting the gospel out to the rest of the world. And, and I get that's confusing. It, seem, it seems uh, hard to get our heads around. But, you know, it's not really just the Jews that the gospel divides. The gospel comes to every people, and not every person among every people usually responds. Right? You think about any particular Gentile group. When the gospel comes to them, there's a group that accepts it, receives it with joy. There's another group that says, nope, I don't want that. Either A, I have my own belief in God and I'll find it my own way, thank you very much. Or B, oh, these guys are telling me I have to start exercising self-control and live right, and I don't want to hear that. I like living my own selfish way. Or C, these people are a bunch of self-righteous SOBs and they are uh, a stink in my nostrils and uh, let's get rid of them. You know, John Wesley in his preaching, it's recorded that there were hecklers in the crowd. A lot of people responded, but there were people in the crowd sometimes who would make fun of him and heckle him and, and give him a hard time. Some of those hecklers later converted and turned to the Lord under Wesley's ministry. But this is typical through history. It's not just about the Jews being a special group of people, although they are special in their own way. We'll just take a little pause here and think about why would they become jealous when the gospel started to be successful among the Gentiles? Just think about that. What was going on in them? I think one thing that might have been happening is, you know what? We've had this synagogue here for dozens, scores, maybe even hundreds of years since the Jewish diaspora. And a little trickle of godly Gentiles has sought the Lord through our, our synagogue, our fellowship. And now you two guys come in and the whole town is here? Like, what the heck? And literally, they were jealous of the attention. Uh, it was like a popularity contest. Another possibility is that they were jealous of, of sharing God. Like, you, you, and you see that um, many times in, in Hebrew history, uh, the people of God have been super, super proud to be the people of God. Like, hey, we're special, we're chosen, and you're not. And so not wanting to really share that, like just dribbles and eeks and drabs, uh, out with a few Gentiles who might become like super holy and perhaps worthy to come and join us. But let's face it, the, the Judaism by itself has never made a mass conversion sweep among the Gentiles. It just hasn't done that. You know, Moses, it says from the earliest time, Moses was preached in synagogues around the Greek cities, but not a lot of people responded. 
Greek culture was dominant. Pagan, idol-worshiping culture was dominant. Uh, And so the Jews, maybe some of them were sort of like Jonah, watching Nineveh repent and say, well, they're our enemies. We're your special chosen people. Why are you showing blessing and favor to them? You know, aren't we your chosen people? So a little bit of jealousy maybe to see the gospel going outside of the people of God as they understood it. You even see that force in the early church where it took that event where we looked at recently with Peter seeing the sheet let down from heaven and God declaring all these creatures clean so that Peter could go to Cornelius and take the gospel. You see that that was mind-blowing even to Messianic Jewish believers. It took a special move of the Holy Spirit to help them see the gospels for the whole world. So one of the, you see that pattern here in these synagogues as Paul and Barnabas are preaching around Asia Minor and then in Greece, that there's a division that this preaching causes. And the gospel is divisive in that sense. Jesus said, and he warned us in Matthew 10, 34, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter-in-law against her mother, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You see, the gospel is a sword that divides people. It divides people who choose Jesus from those who reject him. It divides people who want the life God offers from those who want the life of the world. It divides even inside families. And I've read so many testimonies uh, in missionary magazines of the way the gospel impacts homes in Islamic cultures and in Buddhist cultures and Hindu cultures where this prophecy and statement and foretelling and warning that Jesus gave, this announcement of what the gospel would do, comes true in the homes of believers You'll read some story of, of, of some teenage girl and she says, I got a hold of the Bible and I started to read it and I put my faith in Jesus and I came alive and I had joy in my heart as I never had before and the abuse in my childhood began to fade from controlling me and when I enjoyed, told the rest of my family hoping they would get on board with me, they all hated me. They said I betrayed them. They said I was betraying their culture and their religion, their God. Remember what Jesus said, they will, some, of you will put you, some of them will put you to death because they think they're serving God. Now, that's not just something I'm telling you happened back here in these days of the Bible, but it's happening today. And the gospel does that sometimes inside homes in the West, too. Someone who makes a commitment to Jesus, the rest of the family looks at them like, oh, gosh, Right? What have you become? You're a holy roller now. Uh, An effort to protect themselves and their own conscience from conviction. Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Or you trust in Jesus? Oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? So 
This uh, dividing, this sword that divides even in households, it divides those who choose Jesus from those who choose themselves, or they choose their family, or they choose their culture, or they choose their religion. You know, think we're going to look now here as we turn to Lystra and Derby, folks who couldn't even see what the gospel was because of their religion. In Lystra, so they fled from Lyconia. Uh, they fled from Iconium to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby, rather than be stoned. Smart guys, right? In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him. He saw that he had faith to be healed. And he called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So by preaching the word, faith was kindled in this man's heart. And he was hearing about the power of God. He was hearing about the good news of being forgiven, that God has sent a Messiah who's for all the world to save us from our sins. And he's responding in his head like, this is good stuff. And Paul sees the Holy Spirit working in him. Holy Spirit speaks in Paul, gives him what he's supposed to do. Paul commands him to get up. And he's instantly healed as he responds by getting up. Now, here's what are the weird things that, that happens. Look at this. The whole crowd suddenly said, Jesus really is the Son of God, and the entire city was converted. Is that what happened? <laughs> no, no. When the crowd saw that Paul had done what, what Paul had done, they shouted in their language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And if you know Greek mythology, Zeus, head of the pantheon, Hermes, messenger of the gods, the guy who runs around with a winged helmet. And here they're thinking, this must be who these guys are. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. You see what's going on here? You'd think, wow, I bet this crowd really paid attention after the healing, right? This is supernatural power like we've never seen. We should all turn to God. Nope. That's not what happened. People mistake the miracle for a work by the idols they worship, Zeus and Hermes. Miraculous works, and this is something important for us to get our heads around. Miraculous works do not automatically open the door of everyone's heart to the gospel. Think about the works Jesus himself did. Many were blessed with healing and deliverance. Many more were convinced to become his followers, but some totally misinterpreted them, blaming them on the devil. So here, the miracle actually divides the town, the sword once again. The people can't see its meaning because their own culture and idol worship blinds them. Same thing's taking place in our culture. Even where God has worked to spare people, to bring them a miracle, to work wonders in their midst, people are many times blinded to that this is coming from God. Oh, well, that was a spontaneous remission. Well, you were healed in the hospital, and no doctor can explain why. Yeah, yeah, just an accident. It's a fluke. 
you know. You were just spared in a total car wreck, and the rest of your car is all crunched up, but you came out unscathed. <laughs> what a lucky coincidence in a culture that worships luck, right? People become blind to the actual work of God, even when he's doing a miraculous work in front of their face. And we ought to realize that when we share the gospel, that it will be received by some people with joy and others will be blind to it. That's okay. When you're sharing the gospel and that happens to you, you're in good company. If that happened to Paul and Barnabas, apostles, and then you shouldn't be surprised or overwhelmed or feel bad or rejected if it happens to you. You're in good company. You see how quickly... And now, now watch what happens after this. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We're only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless idols, Zeus and Hermes and all that Greek pantheon, to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he's not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He's provided you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. But even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. You see, their their cultural blinders weren't coming down even when told the truth. And that's going to be the case with some people. We live in a culture that has a lot of cultural blinders to the gospel. We live in a highly materialist culture that's put a huge amount of its investment and its uh, valuation of worth into the material realm. And if your eyes are all on the material realm and somebody comes to talk to you about the eternal spirit who's not part of the eternal realm, uh, of the, the material realm, Some people are just like, they're blind to what you're saying to them. In their hearts, they're thinking, that's just a nice fairy tale. And I'm glad it works for you. But all of us materialists know those kind of things aren't true. And so they're like the idol worshipers who worship Zeus and Hermes. They don't actually hear the good news. They're blind to it because of the idol they've chosen to worship of materialism. You know, there was an ancient goddess, God, Um, mammon that stood for the worship of the material realm and wealth. You know, many people in our modern culture, that's what they worship. Even Marxism, which is built on materialism, springs out of a materialist worldview and puts all its hopes on material salvation, mammon. So if you try to tell the gospel to a Marxist who thinks there's no spiritual realm, who thinks this world is all there is and economics is the way to our salvation, you can tell them the full truth of the gospel and they may be utterly blind and deaf to what you're trying to tell them. Now, not everyone will be. This is part of the mystery of the gospel. Some people respond even in the midst of a pagan culture. The guy who was crippled in Lystra may well have believed in Zeus and Hermes until he heard Paul preaching. He responded in faith. So there are some who will hear. Now, I see what, what happens here, how quickly the tide turns. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium came and won the crowd over. Now, it's probably Pisidian Antioch, not the Antioch over 
uh, near um, I don't know what the modern country it's in some other part of Turkey but this one Pisidian Antioch they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead do you remember what Jesus told Ananias before Ananias went in Damascus to lay hands on Paul so he could receive his sight and be healed and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus told him, don't worry about the persecutions he did to the church before, witnessing to the stoning of Stephen. He's my chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so Paul gets stoned. And I don't mean... And he's left for dead. All the people finish stoning him and they think, oh good, we've silenced this guy. No more assaults on our beloved religion. And the temple of Zeus, it's our special place. And, but after the disciples had gathered around him, maybe they were all, I don't know if they were praying or not, maybe they were just aghast, like what just happened to us? He got up. God gave him life again. And Paul recounts this. And one of his testimonies tells about the sufferings he's gone through, the times he was stoned, the times he was beaten. And it says he got up and went back into the city. This may have been even the time when he had that a vision. Some people, he describes somebody he knew having a vision where he gets to see inexpressible things in heaven. And he, he, does, he doesn't actually say that this was me because he doesn't want to get all boastful about a a vision he's had, but it's very possible he was talking about himself, and this is when he had it, a near-death experience, or actually a dead experience, as he's taken to heaven, and Jesus said, here's great things that are coming, but you're not done. I'm sending you back. So he gets up. He goes back into the city, and then he and Barnabas left, and they go on to their next mission. Yeah, I, I just... Uh, I want you to think about more lessons for us. I've already said it. The gospel creates opposition. It's a sword that divides. And if it divides even in your own household, don't be surprised. Now, you can pray because many times whole households turn to faith. You can pray. I, I read, um, I heard um, a friend quote from Augustine, the great saint reading through his confessions that Augustine says, my mother, whose Christianity I despised, prayed for me for my salvation for 20 years. And you know what happened to Augustine? He finally came to the end of his rope, the end of, of what the sinful pleasures of this world could offer to make him happy. And in despair, utter emptiness, and deep sorrow, misery because of the, 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 the whole rotten way of life he had chosen, he turned to God and put his faith in Jesus. He began to read the word, and God lifted off of him the burden of himself. He got saved. But he says, my mother was praying for me for 20 years. You know there was a sword inside that home, dividing mother and son. 
And his father was not a believer. But she was agonizing in prayer for her son's salvation. And boy, what fruit did that prayer produce? Augustine became one of the greatest saints and writers of the church, called a doctor of the church, uh, meaning one whose advice is timeless for the church of all time. And you can pick up Augustine today and read him and be blessed by him. He's not on the, the status of the apostles and never claimed to be himself. So you test whatever he wrote by the scripture. But he wrote some wonderful things that blessed the church. So you see that the sword comes and it divides. But despite opposition, many will believe. As we go out and share the gospel, there are going to be people who respond. We let God winnow out how people respond. Today's enemy, like Paul, may become tomorrow's brother or sister. You know, think about what the early church thought about Saul when he's persecuting them. My goodness, if there isn't a sword in this house, then he's after us with it. But then he gets saved and converted and becomes one of Jesus' chief spokesmen. Some people may stay entrenched rejecting God. That's not really our concern. Our concern is to offer them life, offer the good news, and let God let, let it work out between them and God. Miracles confirm the gospel. You'll see it many times God confirmed the gospel with signs and wonders, but they don't automatically convert people and they're not automatically understood as works of God. Sometimes, but not always. Some people's cultural blinders are so great that the work of God effectively becomes invisible to them. They're going to be, they're blind, and it's going to happen, including in our own culture. That doesn't mean we don't share the gospel with them, because it'll get through to some. Some will look at the box they stuck themselves in in our culture, the materialist box, and say, you know what, my soul and spirit have always craved for more than this. I've known and longed for something beyond this world and been hungry for it. I just didn't think it was there. But somehow what you've said and what the Spirit has done moving in me right now has opened my eyes to eternity, opened my spirit, my heart to eternity. And I want that. And so you get materials all over the place. You're getting saved, converted, coming out of that type of idol worship. Some are going to scoff. And here's why I want to close. Like the Jews who rejected the gospel in Pisidian Antioch. Listen to Paul's warning to them. He gives this great presentation on Jesus conquering death, on Jesus being the true Messiah. This is back in Acts 13. He said, now when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. He comes through this whole thing of proving who Jesus is. I want you to know that your sins are forgiven through him if you put your faith in him. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You know, the law doesn't make people righteous. It just points out where they're not righteous. And as hard as you may try to keep it, you can't keep the whole law. And if you start to read it, you discover where you fall short. And so for the, for the folks in that crowd who were honest and looking at their own hearts, they 
might have been saying, you're right, we have tried so hard to be good under Moses and we're just not cutting it. It's not working. We just feel the burden of our sins, our guilt. And here forgiveness is proclaimed and a lot of people welcome that with joy. But then Paul warns him, take care that what the prophet has said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Scoffers. The spirit of the scoffer makes them deaf to the things of God. When you encounter that in somebody, don't beat yourself up or beat your head against the brick wall because they're not listening to you. Recognize that that's part of the spiritual state of some people. They're scoffing. Their mocking spirit has hardened their hearts to God Himself. Not to you. You're just a messenger to God. And if they are hardened against God, yet yeah, they may well be hardened to you, the messenger, too. But don't take it personally. And that doesn't mean you should stop sharing. Paul repeatedly went to the synagogues and shared, and some Jews responded and believed. And many Gentiles did, too. And when he stopped being welcomed in the synagogues, that's when he went next door, just to Gentile meeting places. But he offered the gospel to everybody. And as we're out there sharing Christ with people, we're going to encounter these same kind of challenges. We're going to encounter some who are hungry and ready and hear the word and respond with faith. And some of them are going to jump up and be healed from crippling. And there's all kinds of crippling in people's lives. Emotional crippling, spiritual crippling, relational crippling. The crippling that sin does, there's physical crippling, all of it. And the gospel starts to heal people. But there's going to be other people who are going to scoff. Their ears are going to be deaf to it. And they won't believe even if somebody tells them. So don't take that personally. That doesn't mean we should stop telling the news. This is our charge as disciples. We're supposed to share the good news. We're the light of the world, the salt of the earth. If you've got people out there you care about and love, share the gospel with them and let God winnow out how they're going to respond. I remember a lady who, I'm sure I've told you this story before, she was an elderly saint of the church. And she was, she met this young man who said, I don't need the gospel, that's for weaklings. You know, I don't need a savior, I'm fine on my own. And she said, I'm going to pray that God shows you just how much you need a savior. And from the time she prayed that, things in his life started to fall apart. And he began to discover, I'm not so hot. I'm not so powerful. I'm not God after all. And in that place of humbling, his heart began to become tender to the Savior and the need for the Savior in a new way. Maybe that was part of Augustine's mother's prayer. My son thinks he doesn't need you, Lord. Show him how much he needs you. We can do that too. For the people that we meet, the people in our families, maybe even when they're divided against the gospel, that they, God will work in them. Well, this is what I want to share with you this morning. Just some lessons from uh, Paul and Barnabas spreading the gospel among the Gentile church and encouragement as we are learning to be more effective at and sharing the gospel ourselves in our own time and place and generation. And uh, not to put all our eggs in the miracle basket, 
not to put all our eggs in the basket of, of uh, expecting that our arguments must win the day or that they're going to persuade everybody. Um, just realizing there's good news. Some will choose to respond and some will choose not to. And God uses that. It's part of what he does. Jesus told us this is how it worked out. Now let's pray. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's Word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkillhaven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.